Welcome to the Calvary Lake Ozark Message Podcast. Wherever you are tuning in from today, we hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. If you'd like more information about Calvary Lake Ozark, visit calvarylakeozark.com. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 17. We're jumping in, going to finish the rest of this chapter, and we're starting in verse 14. And when they had came to the crowd, a man came up to him, came up to Jesus, and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. When the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Verse 20, and Jesus said to them, because of your little faith, For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. And as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. When they came to Capernaum, The collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? And he said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he had said, and when he had said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea, cast a hook, and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Every time I go fishing, I'm asking the Lord, what you've done with others, do with me. I want to catch a fish, and if it has money in its mouth, bonus, right? That ever happened to you, Bruce? You ever catch a fish with a money in its mouth? <laughs> really? Oh, I can't say you. I thought you said you did. I was like, dang, I'm going fishing with that guy. <laughs> Make your money back on it. And so Jesus is coming down from the mountain of transfiguration. You got the three disciples that get the kind of behind-the-scenes show of everything and seeing him in his glory walking down. Imagine that walk. All of a sudden, Jesus back to his kind of normal self, And you're just following along like, can you believe what we just saw? Like the other nine aren't going to believe this and I can't wait to rub it in their face that we got to. They didn't. Not that we would ever do that, right? And they get down the mountain and then there is a dad with a son. Um, And here in the ESV, it says he is an epileptic. Others, uh, scriptures, the word lunatic is used. And even that word lunatic, meaning that you're just, you're moonstruck, luna, lunar, that you're moonstruck. And because he's demon possessed and this demon would literally just try to kill him, throwing him in the fire, into the water. Like imagine being this dad. 
you can never get one ounce of sleep because you don't know when your son's gonna be thrown into fire, thrown into water. You don't know, you have to always be ready to protect your son. And there's nothing that you can do to save him, to stop it. You just have to guard him from it. And you just sit and you wait and you watch. You can't go to work. You can't sleep through the night. The anxiety that that is probably just triggering in these parents, couldn't even imagine. And so he's coming and he's kneeling before Jesus and he's just like, Lord, have mercy. I mean, do you see the situation that I am in? And as a parent, whatever issue, whatever struggle, whatever situation that we find ourselves in with our child, and I don't care if your child's four, 44, or 74, are they your child? Absolutely. Absolutely. If your child is here, or if your child is with Jesus, are they your child? Absolutely. Yeah, that's a, especially in this time, I know there's parents that have lost kids. And that is a hard road to walk, especially when we're celebrating family and the traditions of that. And, you know, people always talk about, oh, we have words to, to describe, you know, a person that loses a spouse, a widow, or a child that loses parents. You know, they're an orphan. But what do you call a parent that loses a child? A parent. A parent. Job was still a father, even though he lost his ten. And so as a parent, whatever situation, whatever issue, whatever struggle that we find ourselves in with our child, Jesus is the answer. And I know that sounds so cliche. Well, of course, Nick, of course we have to say that. We're in church, but if we're going to be really honest, sometimes we feel like that's the last thing that we need because we think the need is so real and adamant. I don't have time for that church thing and that theology and all that crazy stuff. Like, I just need help. Do you not see what's going on in my son's life? He is being thrown into fire, into water. He's demon-possessed. Like, this is not fair. Why am I that dad with that kid? Why isn't it the guy down the street that's ugly and smells? Why can't he have the son that's a lunatic? Why me? And then... All of us, I think we've probably asked that question. If you have a teenager, <laughs> you're really asking that. Lord, why me? Why do I have these demon-possessed kids? As my daughter keeps telling me, I turn 14 tomorrow, if you make it that long. <laughs> but whatever the situation that we're in, Jesus is the answer. Not just for your child, but for you as a parent. See, a lot of times it's like, oh, I just wish Jesus would grab a hold of my child's heart. And Jesus is saying, I really want to grab a hold of yours as well. Jesus is the answer. And again, another hard thing that we have to discuss and talk about is some of us have prodigal kids. Let it be four, off, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, or 14, or 44, some of us have prodigal kids that are not walking with the Lord. And that thought just weighs so heavy on us. And I know we are casting them at the feet of Jesus and just asking the Lord to intervene in their life. And what do we do with a prodigal son? What do we do when we're trying to step in for the best of our child? And it's real hard when they become an adult. But they're still your kid. 
So how do you intervene? What do you do with the prodigal? What do you do with a rebellious child? And we know the proverb, right? Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart from that. And, and we have to understand, that's a proverb, not a promise. Because sometimes when we hold to that and think, okay, if I can just get them to church, if I can just get them to youth group, if I can just, you know, maybe buy them this or something, like if I can just train them up and they're not going to depart from it. And then they depart from it. And then it's like, what, what happened? It's a proverb, not a promise. And if your child walks away from faith and you've tried to disciple and raise them up and they've walked away, it's okay. They have free will. They have free will. Again, if you have a five-year-old, you understand a child has free will. But we, we wear those decisions heavy on our heart of what our kids do. Again, if they're a young child, an adolescent, or an adult on their own, we, that weighs heavy on us. But what do we do? I love the story of the prodigal son, especially because I was him, and I was really good too. Like, I, I played that part really well. I, I should get an Academy Award, to be honest. But now that I'm a father, I see that story in a different light, and I see the prodigal father who had the prodigal son. And I look at his life, and I think, what could that be like? And how, So what do I do if I have a prodigal child? How do I intervene on behalf of my child? You look and you pray. If you remember the story, the son goes off and does all that he wants to do and fills his heart with fleshly desires and sin and lust and whatever it is. And if you read the story, you see the father every day looking out in the distance, just waiting. Is my son coming back today? And he comes back in the next day, looks out to the horizon. Is it this day? And every day he's waiting to see his son. And then that day comes. Sees this little shadowy figure and starts running to him. And to understand the culture that that was written in for a distinguished older gentleman to run in that culture was absolutely crazy. This shows his discare for anything within what was cultural norm. Why? Because he just wanted to run to his son. So what do we do? We look and we pray but we pray with an expectation to see Jesus move in the heart of our child. If we're gonna be honest with ourselves, I, yes, I, I do believe some of us are praying for our kids, but it's a prayer of defeat. It's not a prayer of expectation. It's not a prayer of victory. It's a prayer of defeat. And we have to pray, look and pray with expectations that we're gonna see God move. That if there's truly victory in Jesus, there's gonna be victory in this situation. The hard part is it might not end how we want it to. But again, writing history is in our business. He is the author and perfecter of faith and the author of life. And you might be thinking, that sounds so great, Nick. Yes, let's look, let's pray for our kids regardless of their age. Let's bring them to Jesus, I get that. But you don't understand what my kid's going through. You don't understand what my son and daughter is into. You don't understand the lifestyle that they are living. True, I'll give you that. I don't know. I don't know that. But what were you doing when Jesus grabbed a hold of your heart? Were you living full of sunshines and rainbows and unicorn farts and everything was just hunky-dory and perfect? No. 
when Jesus grabbed a hold of my heart, there was a lot of brokenness. There was a lot of sin. There was a lot of darkness. But that's what's so beautiful is the grace of Jesus Christ plays so well in brokenness. So I might not understand what our kids all are going through, and I don't need to. It's not that I need to understand your kid's lifestyle. We need to understand who Jesus is. Because a lot of times, that's where that prayer of defeat comes out of. Lord, I know you're all powerful, but you, this is what my kid's living and doing. Flip the prayer. Lord, this is what my son or my daughter is doing, but I know you are more powerful. I know that you are bigger than this situation. I know that you can bring victory in it. And some of you here are not parents. I don't know what wakes you up on a Saturday morning, and I'm quite jealous of it. But some of the people that I look to in a parental figure weren't biological. Whatever severe of influence, you could be a teacher, a coach, you might just be coaching your kid's t-ball, but for some reason, little Johnny that's on your team really looks up to you. So just because it's not biological doesn't mean that you don't play an, an adult role in someone's life. It might be at work that somebody looks up to you. You might just be someone's Paul. And this little Timothy is looking up to you. And so it's not just biological parents that I'm speaking to, but any of us that have a sphere of influence, how are we leading? How are we uh, interceding on behalf of people? Do we have the heart, like this father, to take their child to Jesus? See, so many, talk, so many of us talk about or we look at, uh, there's a lot of books talking about the younger generation, us millennials, I'm a millennial barely, I don't have the man bun to prove it, but. <laughs> but we talk about the lukewarm, apathetic, complacent faith of young people today. And honestly, that just kind of ticks me off. One, because I believe that God has always been about using young people in the world. You look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, teenagers. You look at all the disciples outside of Peter, I believe are teenagers, and this text is what I use to prove it because the temple tax that Peter had to pay after he caught that fish was only for those that were 20 and older. So why would Jesus only provide money for him and Peter? Because they were the oldest ones. And so a bunch of teenagers, like these four men right here, Peter, James, and John. One of them is Judas, but I'm not gonna tell you, no. <laughs> Love you, boys that God is in the business of using young people to bring about change in the world. Our church is healthier because we have young people in it. Now, is it gonna be crazy? You're gonna find <clears throat> vomit on the stage after a Wednesday night? Absolutely. I was there that day. Are we, are we gonna break a light because we're playing nine square? Absolutely. I'll replace the light any day of the week. But if we want the sanctuary to be pristine and nice, if we want everything to be perfect, or do we want the church to be a little bit worn out because teenagers are finding a home in it? I'm going with the teenagers on this one. But so many articles, so many parents, it, it's a struggle. And I'm going to ask you 
to really look in the mirror for a moment because we talk about the lukewarm, apathetic, complacent faith of young people, but what if that isn't the issue at all? What if it's an exact, that lukewarm, apathetic, complacent faith, what if that is an exact representation of the faith that's lived out before them every day of their lives? What if they're doing exactly what they see at home? What if they do the exact same thing that they see in their teachers, in their coaches, in their neighbors? What if when they think of Jesus, they think of the church and they live it out to the fullest, this is exactly what it looks like today? That's really not the issue of young people. It's us old ones that we're unwilling to lay down our lives before Christ and live with a, a zealousness and a boldness and a courage to show them what vibrant faith in Christ looks like. What if they're perfectly living out our apathetic faith? And what's hard is sometimes we see our kids and as parents we end up feeling just as defeated and beaten down as these disciples. As a youth pastor, I felt that. Kids would open up, talk to me about what they're struggling with, maybe stupid decisions they made, and it's just like, how many minutes and hours of teaching and, and discipling and hanging out at pizza parties and playing dodgeball and being there and going to your games and your plays, and then you do this. But they got free will. They can choose what they do. And there was many a times that I felt defeated and I felt beaten down. I thought, Lord, I'm going back to nursing where I can just stab the kids. That was so much easier. <laughs> I promised somebody I'd never make that joke again. My apologies. And all of us can feel that kind of defeat at times, just like this father. I brought him to your disciples. They couldn't do anything. And he doesn't even really ask Jesus for much. He just, just have mercy I don't know what that looks like, but it's whatever it is, it has to be better than my current situation. And we need that same desperation, running to Jesus. Let it be a kid, let it be a spouse, whatever the situation, it could be ourselves. Are we running to Jesus with that same desperation, but also that same expectation in Christ? A lot of times we already have our mind made up. God's not gonna move or work in this, and I'm on my own. And you know what he says to that? Because of your little faith. Oh, you faithless and twisted generation. But the disciples couldn't heal. So not just parents, but all of us trying to follow Jesus, at times we find ourselves in defeated, broken situations. And, a, and here's the kicker. A lot of times we find ourselves in that. Why? Because it was other followers of Jesus that failed us. I used to tell my students, and I tell you this, I'm going to fail you. Do not put me up on this big, high, nice pedestal of, oh, he's the reverend pastor, the good reverend. No, I like a McRib like any other person here. I'm normal just like anybody else. I have the same struggles. My life is just as broken as anybody else's. I'm not just a follower of Jesus. I'm trying to follow Jesus. I lose my patience and my anger towards my wife, my kids. You cut me off on the road. I'm praying for you. <laughs> Lord, make their car blow up. <laughs> I'm praying for you. 
There wasn't some magical gateway that I walked through because I went to Bible college and now I'm perfect and an exact representation of Christ. <laughs> if you knew the worst of me, I wouldn't be the pastor. But if I knew the worst of you, I wouldn't let you in. <laughs> and you know it. And we have to understand that. Followers of Jesus, we're gonna fail. We're gonna fail ourselves. We're gonna fail our spouses, our kids, our families. We're gonna fail. Now, obviously, that's not the setup. Like, oh, okay, just go do whatever you want. Fail, Jesus is grace. No, grace isn't a license just to do whatever. But we have to understand that if we're putting our faith in those that are next to us and we're not putting our faith in the person before us, it's not that followers of Jesus are gonna fail. Your faith is gonna fail because it was in the wrong object. So followers of Jesus are gonna fail, but Jesus never does. It's one of my biggest pet peeves when people say, I don't know if I can go to church full of all those Christians. Judgmental, hypocritical, eh, goody two-shoe, you just, they're just a bunch of Pharisees. One more, not really gonna hurt us. One more, not gonna be too bad. Come on and join us. You're right, we are. We are judgmental, we are hypocritical. We do try to live this life, and at times we live this life, even though we say this. There is times that we put on a mask because we're afraid to be truly transparent and open, not just with the whole church, but we can't even be open with just a few people because we're afraid that if they knew the true things about us, we wouldn't be welcome. And so we got to put on the show. We got to put on the face and the mask and act like everything's perfectly fine, that our life really can't be broken at times. I can understand why people don't want to be a part of this. But the problem is, is they've elevated us. No, put your faith in Jesus. If we put it in man, it will always fail. But if you put your faith in Christ, it will never fail. And we know that theologically, but we have to understand, where is that in my life? Even when we fail, where do we run to? That's the biggest thing. Not when other people fail you. When you fail, where do you run? That will show where your faith is in. So when you lose your anger with a, a spouse or your kids or if you do something really stupid at work or you, you mess up in a, in a private sin, where do you run to? Where do you run to? More sin? trying to numb it, trying to uh, ignore it, try to make it go away, or do you take it to Jesus? That's where we know our faith is in. Even when we fail, are we running to Jesus? And when other people fail us, don't let it keep you from Christ. If we truly love Jesus, we won't allow his followers, to keep us from him. That's what I love about our church. We're just a ragtag, muck group of people trying to figure out who Jesus is and trying to follow him. My old church used to say it this way. We were kicked out of every other good church in town, and so we just started meeting together. And as the more people I get to meet, I say, hey, you're broken just like me. Hey, you're messed up just like me. Hey, you're ugly just like me. I'm so glad we're in this together. It'd be real hard if I moved down here and looked at the church and be like, they're nothing like me. 
I'm broken and messed up and I have really hard days and really good days and it could be the same day. It could be the same day. Who I am at breakfast, you're lucky if I'm that same person by lunch, especially if you don't get that second McRib for a dollar. You know what I mean? It's just like, sorry. But what are we putting our faith in? Better who are we putting our faith in? Jesus is saying, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, right, real small little seed. If some of you cook, you understand what I'm talking about. It is a really small little grain of faith. Like if you just have just a little bit of faith, it's not the amounts. Oh, I want to be this person of great faith and do all these things. I'm just trying to make it to Tuesday, okay? Like, yeah, I think of my life and absolutely want to live that wholeheartedly for the rest of how many years or days that the Lord is going to give me. Absolutely want to leave that, live that in complete abandonment for Christ. But I know practically, I'm just trying to get through the week. And if I can just have this grain of mustard seed faith, again, it's not the amount, it's who I'm putting my faith in. I love the story of the one dad that looks at Jesus and says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Because there are so many times, even in my life, that's my prayer. Lord, I believe. I'm in. I'm bought out. I'm all in. But help my unbelief. Like I'm struggling here. Step in. I need your presence here. So it's not the amount of faith but in who we are placing our faith. And I just encourage you, is it Jesus? It needs to be. Because again, if we put our faith in anything else, our position, our job, our spouse, our family, whatever it is, wherever else you're trying to find identity in, it's they will fail you. Is your identity in Christ? Is your faith in Jesus? And so as we're moving along, we see that Jesus heals this boy. He rebukes the demon. I mean, even at the end of it, I mean, imagine this. This boy just roll around, fire, wire, I mean, barely even controllable. And Jesus is casting him out, and the demon gives like one last little effort to it. One last effort that he, he's shrieking and hollering, and the, and the demon comes out, and the boy looks dead. And honestly, might have been. And Jesus reached down, picks him up, and, and he's healed. And those nine were probably the one that the dad took the disciples to while Jesus and the other three are up on the mountain. And they
Pastor Nick, well, you, you don't got the full gospel here? You, you, you pulling verses out? Like, what's going on here? What's happening? Calm down. Let's talk about it. So the verse 21 says, however, this is Jesus speaking, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So a little geek out moment. Let's understand, okay, where did this happen? This verse is not included in newer Bibles, meaning as they, some of the older versions of the Bible, so King James translation of the Bible, New King James, used older manuscripts to translate the Bible to. But there's been some time, there's been more digging, and we found earlier more complete, more accurate manuscripts. There's actually four. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the names for you. And they, there are four main ones. They're written on animal skin. They're in capital letters. There's no spacing between uh, words or sentences. It's just all capital letters, and it's no vowels. And there's four of these that are kind of, they're quintessentially called the, the most, it's almost like art. It is the most beautiful, accurate representation of what the New Testament and these were written around 308 behind the scenes uh, tour at the Vatican. You can check one out. There's one of them in London. And so these verses, these manuscripts don't contain verse 21. Even though later ones do. And so the ESV, one of these, uh, NLTs, one of them, NIV, they don't have that verse. They're thinking, all right, so if you add to Scripture and take away from Scripture, isn't that like a bad omen or something? Like, doesn't something really bad happen? The translator of the older Bibles weren't always as careful in the selection of the manuscripts that they used. And in the process of copying these manuscripts, someone much later they copied this verse from the Gospel of Mark. So this is Mark 9 that they kind of uh, put in here in Matthew. And you might think, well, who dare do that? What I love is they're copying Matthew and they know the Gospel so well. Oh, well, Mark 9 has actually something more to say about this. Could we, do we know Scripture so well that if I took one verse out, hold on, something's up here. And I'm not talking like John 3, 16. You know what I mean? Like everybody would know that. You'd, but do we know Scripture that well? We'd see like, oh, Mark says it a little differently. And then they just included it. And that's why one of my big uh, encouragements is that we study all four Gospels together. So even though we're walking through Matthew, there are times we've referenced like, okay, in Luke, I like how it says this, or in Mark, or in John, and, and that's all that happened. And so you, you look at all of these four together, and that's where you get a complete picture of the life of Jesus. So if you want to see this same scene, but from a different perspective, Mark 9, Luke 9 is where you want to go. For some reason, when the Holy Spirit interceded and for Matthew writing, he didn't put in verse 21. And it wasn't like he was marking those. The, the numbers of chapters and verses didn't happen until the 1500s. So he was just writing. It was later that that was added in. But if it's, if it's in Mark, again, we're going to study the scripture as a whole, not just walking through Matthew. So what does this mean? That only, only this kind can happen. This kind goes out except by prayer and fasting. Like what, what was Jesus meaning in that? See, prayer and fasting, or prayer and self-discipline. So we think of fasting as just not eating. And that is, that's true. But there's a lot of things that we could fast from even now. We could fast from social media. 
We could fast from electronic devices. We could fast from watching sports. Oh, easy, Nick. Come on, we're not trying to be radical here. Chiefs play tonight. Fast for like a couple hours, all right? Calm it down. But Jesus is telling them that like, there's obviously degrees of what was going on. And so, yeah, the disciples could do some low-level uh, demon exorcism, but this one, uh, a little more powerful. Need to have a little more prayer and fasting because there is a powerful interaction between prayer and fasting, between prayer and self-discipline. Prayer aligns us under Jesus, and it puts him and it puts us in our rightful spots. Prayer puts me under who Christ is and him above me. Because a lot of times I'm really good about trying to say, hey, I'm going to take the lead on this one, Jesus. Try to keep up. And he just picks me up like a small little child and puts me in my right spot. Says, you sit there. Be a good boy. Don't touch anything. But it puts him and myself in my rightful position. I follow him. That's what we read in Matthew 16. Follow me is what Jesus said. And so, and then fasting or self-discipline, it disconnects us from our world and our flesh and our wants and our desires. Think about that. Don't fast from the things that you don't want. Right? Like, it is really easy for me to fast from things I don't want. Like, Lord... I'm giving up broccoli for you. Not a struggle. That really doesn't affect my day-to-day life. It's easy to give up the things I could care less about. Lord, I give up figure skating. I'm not gonna watch it this year. All to the glory of Jesus. Give up the things that hurt. Give up the things that really make an impact in your everyday life. Give up the things that are interceding between you and in your relationship with Christ. It should hurt when we fast. There should, there should be a level of pain and frustration. There should be a level of like, I don't think I'm gonna make it through this. Now, how long should we fast? I don't know. Some of us, we need to fast a whole lot and something like that. And I challenge you to find a fast. Let it be a three-day, a seven-day, a 21-day. Now, if you fast from food for like three months, hey, tell Jesus I said hi, and I'll be up there soon, okay? (laughs) Because we have to understand what is the purpose of fasting. Whatever time we would spend on that, and the phone is so guilty because now they have that app that tells you how much time you spend on your phone. Who invented that trash? Goodness. (laughs) But the time that I would spend in that, we dedicate that to the Lord. So it's not that I'm just going to skip a meal. I'm going to take that time, and I'm going to be in prayer. I'm going to be in the word. I'm going to serve. I'm going to do something in glorifying the Lord of my life, not just sit there and look at the refrigerator and say, in seven days, I'm tackling you, buddy. We're getting after it. No. We use that time for the Lord. So the invitation... To live for Jesus as a follower of Jesus, it's a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. So why couldn't the disciples uh, pull this demon out of this boy? They just went on a normal kind of routine of life that their prayer and their self-discipline was probably really, really low. 
that they thought it was just about normal ritual and routine and everything was going to be fine because we're the disciples. Yeah, we weren't a part of the three that got to go up on the mountain, but we're better than the rest of you little slimy slugs. And they were very ineffective in doing kingdom work and in ministry. Why? Because they weren't aligning themselves in prayer and they weren't exercising self-discipline. And we are just as guilty. See, we're real good when an emergency hits. When, when whatever hits the fan, oh yeah, we're real good about running to the Lord at that. But what about Tuesday? What about a normal Monday? How are we doing on Friday? What does our normal everyday life look like? Because if we only wait for the emergency and we treat Christ like 911, yeah, there's gonna be a problem in that. He wants a daily walk with us. So if we're high on the mountain, if we're low in the valley, it's a daily walk and it's that kind of lifestyle of prayer and self-discipline that brings effective ministry. And so I think Paul would say it, be ready in season or out. I know you probably can't tell, but I come from a family of boxers. I have an uncle that was a WBC welterweight champion, fought on HBO. Uh, I got to meet a fairly, uh, some cool people because of that. The first guy that ever knocked out Mike Tyson, uh, he looked like a bear compared to me. It was pretty cool to meet him. And there was a gym that uh, my uncle had built, and he would train every day. And I'd, be, I'd come over on weekends and stuff and hang out and be like, oh, you got a fight coming up? Is that why you're training? Nope. But I need to be ready in season or out of season because you can get that call at any time that you got a fight. And a lot of it, if you wanted to win and be a good boxer, you had to be training. You'll win a fight just if the other guy's out of shape and hasn't been training and doesn't have self-discipline. That's gonna be an easy fight for you. You give him about 30 seconds and he's gonna be gassed and then you just knock him out. If you wanted to be ready for a fight, if you wanted a good winning chance, you had to have self-discipline. You had to be ready. And it's the same thing in our faith. We don't talk about, oh, read the Bible every day so Jesus can just overwhelm you with these ooey-gooey feelings and stuff like that. No, we're in a war. This is a battle that we're in. And if we just wanna treat this as 911, that's not gonna go well for us. We need to be ready so that when that fight comes to our doorstep, we're ready, we're strong. We're in the Lord. We're not running to him. Hey, last minute, hey, uh, I didn't know this was gonna happen. Obviously you did, because you're omniscient. We spout all this theology, and it's like, guy, you should have been walking with me. You would have been ready. You would have been strengthened. We'd have already had this close communion and prayer, and so whenever that need arose, this 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 is why it's happening. So we need to strengthen ourselves and, and quit treating the Lord like this emergency 911 or 411 when we don't understand something in the Bible. Lord, what's that about? Live. It's a lifestyle of following Jesus. It is a lifestyle. What's that one you see at the church signs? They get so creative. It's not cake for special occasions. It's daily bread. And then Jesus again tells them, this is what's gonna happen to the Son of Man. This is a normal, everyday lifestyle following me 
but I want you to know, understand where I'm going, to the place, to that cross, that full place of surrender. And so if the Son of Man is going there, where do you think Christians are going as well? Those that are following Jesus, we're behind you, Lord. I got my cross, I'm behind you. And then you have this whole story about Simon going fishing and what I love about it. Walk by faith. There's a need before us. Like I love that Peter opens his mouth like, oh, does your guy uh, pay the temple tax? Yes. And then he runs to Jesus and before he can even say something, Jesus is like, Peter, what do you think? Like that would have like shook me right there. Like how did you know I already had this interaction? Like, oh, that's funny you mentioned that, Jesus. I was just talking to the guys about the uh, uh, temple tax there. Like, well, what, what's, your, what's your thought on that? That there's gonna be needs that arise before us. There's gonna be battles that arise before us. So let it be the boy being tossed in the fire in the water or let it be something simple like a temple tax. Walk by faith. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus, just like that prodigal father. Look and pray. And it's time for us as a church to be looking and praying, being ready for the things that God is bringing before us. It's bringing into our sphere of influence and saying, hey, you're my vessel. I want to use you in this situation. But if we're not looking, if we're not aware, if we're not praying about this, we're going to find ourselves just like the disciples, ineffective in ministry, standing there, twiddling our thumbs, saying, I don't know what happened, Jesus. What was I supposed to do? You were supposed to walk with me daily. You were supposed to be ready for whatever is brought into our lives. And the same is for us. We need to be ready. We talk about how we think God is really moving and doing a lot in our church, and I believe it. But are we as a church ready for what God has for us? That's something that really hits me, like God has this for us. Like, hey, I have a purpose for Calvary Lake Ozark, and everybody that calls this their church home, I have this, but are you ready for it? That's the one thing that we could be holding up, God moving and working in and through us, isn't him, it's us. Are we ready for what God has for us? Are we ready to take that next step? I don't know what it is. I'm asking. I hope you're asking. But are we looking? Are we praying? Are we ready? Are we prepared to be used by God to allow him to work in and through us to make an impact in this community? Father, we love you. And we just surrender our lives to you yet again. And I pray each and every one of us, Lord, would be battle ready for you. And so press upon our hearts. The need that we have to realign ourselves under your guidance and your leadership, to realign ourselves under the direction of your word. And we ask that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. There would be an overflowing presence in our life. Father, I pray that we would be a church of self-discipline, knowing the world wants us just to gratify the desires of our flesh. But we're gonna stand firm in our faith. 
Give us that kind of faith, Lord. Give us that kind of courage so that whatever and whenever you bring before our plate, we are ready to step in and be the church to show your love, your grace, your mercy, your truth to this world. Lord, ready us for battle. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Calvary Lake Ozark, you are sent. Go love God, love others, impact this world.